0: Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 9.50 p.m. on Sunday night. That is right, darn it. I'm getting it done early and I'm going to get it on your devices early Monday morning. It feels good to do good, you guys. Um, Yeah, we had a really cool day at church today. We tried something weird and different with the band uh, Natalie played drums and she just played this like electric pad the whole time. And then we had acoustic guitar, like some real reverb-y electric guitar. And then Seth played piano and synthesizer. And Hannah sang background vocals along with Hannah or, um, Guiana leading. And it was really cool. It was super chill. Um, I think everybody liked it. It's, it's, a uh, really fun and fulfilling to be at a place where, We are excited to try new things and introduce different types of music and different types of songs. Uh, Speaking of that, uh, one cool thing that's coming up, uh, starting in... Actually, this is weird. I need to do some research on this. Thursday, September 15th is when uh, National Hispanic Heritage Month starts, and it ends Saturday, October 15th. I don't know why it's like in the middle of the month. That's weird. But anyway, we're going to celebrate. We're going to be doing some Spanish music. Uh, We are going to have a potluck on the 11th, usually after church. We all go hang out at a restaurant somewhere, but that week we are going to stay at the church and everybody's going to bring food and we're going to hang out and have a grand old time. So I'm really excited about that, excited about trying new stuff with the band. Uh, Hannah was back today. It's really great to just hear from her. Um, She's doing really good. Uh, You'll obviously hear from her in a few minutes here. Yeah. It was all around a fantastic day. I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It is so cool that people care what we're up to. Thank you to everybody who uh, has come in person and uh, you all rock. Okay. I want to do something silly. If you just want to indulge me, Um, there's this like old internet viral video that Hannah and I really like and think is hilarious. It's uh, and now a dramatic reading of a real breakup letter. Uh, anyway, she opened the uh, message today with some scripture. And in my mind, I was thinking, man, we should have read this in the style of a dramatic reading of a real breakup letter. So I'm going to do it. I am i didn't ask permission. I'm just having fun. This is going to go uh, in place of the scripture reading that Hannah did. And I'm going to read it in the style of a dramatic breakup. Oh, I messed that up. A dramatic reading of a real breakup letter. Okay. I've got this pulled up on my phone here. Forgive me if I make mistakes. This is Isaiah 1, 10 through 17. Isaiah 1, 10
1: through 17. Listen to the Lord, you leaders of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, people of Gomorrah. What makes you think I want all your sacrifices? I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts the incense of your offerings disgust me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath, and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, i will not look though you offer many prayers i will not listen for your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims wash yourselves and be clean get your sins out of my sight give up your evil ways learn to do good seek justice help the oppressed defend the cause of orphans Fight for the rights of widows.
2: Everyone, feel good now? (laughs) This is not one of the like comforting, nice passages in the Bible where God's like, I shall be with you always and everything will be happy. No. Isaiah's using like very strong language here. Um, To begin with, he calls the people the leaders of Sodom and people of Gomorrah, which at the time Isaiah was written, those two cities were like, they were like a cliche phrase for extreme wickedness. Like, think like, what do you call Vegas? Sin City, right? So, Sodom and Gomorrah were seen like that, except worse because they were actually completely destroyed and everyone interpreted their destruction as punishment for the wrongs they had done. Now, I do think it's worth pausing for a moment to discuss what exactly the particular wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah was, because contrary to popular conservative notions that say these cities were sinning and it was somehow related to LGB plus activity, the actual wickedness, or sin, of Sodom and Gomorrah was that they were greedy, and injustice reigned supreme. It had nothing to do with LGBT anything, okay? And everything to do with how arrogant and proud and power-hungry and violent those two cities were. And if you're not convinced, the Bible itself specifically says (laughs) what the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was in Ezekiel 1649. It says, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, Excess of food, prosperous ease, but they did not help the poor and needy. And we don't have time to get into all the other reasons why the story of Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament has absolutely nothing to do with LGBT plus life. Maybe we can address that on a different Sunday. But suffice it to say, as a student of the Bible for my entire life in education, and as a person who has studied this extensively, I will say unequivocally that any interpretations of that story that are put forth to shame or oppress the LGBT plus community is not only flat out wrong, but unbiblical. Okay, back to Isaiah. That was a tangent. (laughs) Okay, so we know Sodom and Gomorrah, the sin cities, were proud and arrogant and did not care about the poor. What is intense about this passage is that Isaiah is comparing Israel, God's special boy, God's special chosen people, to Sodom and Gomorrah. Like Isaiah's not just throwing shade. Okay. Isaiah is saying like the worst thing that could be said about Israel. And now that we know what the actual sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was, it is easier to understand why Isaiah is comparing Israel to them. Okay, so historically, this is what's going on. The politicians in Israel, this, by the way, has no relation to our current political life. The politicians in Israel were in cahoots with the spiritual leaders. And they were spiritually legitimizing an unjust socio-political system. At this time, there was a heavy tax on every person from the the government in Israel. But guess who was exempt? The people who worked in the temple. And not only did they not have to pay the government tax, the people, the regular people, were required to support them on top of the government tax. It was not optional. So on top of the heavy government tax, All adult males were required to present themselves three times a year and bring different sacrifices of grains and animals and things to support the life in the temple. It wouldn't have mattered much to the rich people, but to the poor people, that was like kind of a big deal. Now, the spiritual leaders relied on the government to enforce that, right? They had to enforce the regular tax and the temple tax. The temple personnel were benefiting from the system, and they were in a position to manipulate the system. Benefiting from the system is not necessarily a problem. Manipulating the system, on the other hand, is a problem because just as the church needed the government reinforcement to make everyone come and bring their payments, the government equally needed the spiritual blessing of the temple and therefore from God. So both the government and The spiritual leaders are saying, this is what God wants. And Isaiah is calling the entire system into question. So the government is like, yes, God wants you to support us with a heavy tax. And the spiritual leaders are like, yes, God wants us to not pay the tax and also for you to support our lives. And Isaiah is saying, that's a load of crap. And even further, Isaiah is delivering a message straight from God, where God is saying, that's a load of crap. These requirements were not in place for God. They weren't benefiting God. They were benefiting the religious elite. And God is not just annoyed by this nonsense. God is, like, enraged by it. In just a few verses, God communicates how clearly he is upset. Like, can you imagine we just got all the, like, the most influential rich church leaders in our country. And then we're like, this is the message from the Lord. What makes you think I wanted this? I am sick of your offerings. I get no pleasure from your sacrifices. I am disgusted by your pomp and circumstance. I cannot stand your church services. Your prayers are offensive (laughs) because you pray to be blessed while you are oppressing other people. I will not listen to you. Everything you are doing is a burden to me. Woof. (laughs) now in our christian bibles isaiah is the first of the prophetic books and this is in the first chapter okay and what is god's first order of business yelling at religious people uh there's plenty of people who like rail against religion and love to just point out how bad religion is especially christianity they're like here has a list of things that christians have done in the name of god and they're terrible but guess what those people generally fail to realize that our own bible is ahead of the game on this (laughs) guess who the first and most furious critic of religion is? God. (laughs) Like, what can we say about our own religion that God has not already said? Right? Now, I find that some people, progressive Christians especially, take a weird kind of pleasure in these verses because they are, after all, a full-out assault on religion, and people who have deconstructed or moved from conservatism tend to have at least a couple of resentments that we just like hold in our hearts like little angry pet porcupines. <laughs> we just like feed them and pet them and then they hurt people and we're like, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine because you hurt me first. <laughs> now, we've seen, especially in American evangelicalism, how little difference space actually seems to make in the lives of people. Now, we have noticed that not only does nothing ever seem to change, but like actual, real harm is being done. So it's not a stretch of our imagination to address these verses to our modern-day church. We don't have any animal sacrifices. We don't burn incense, unless you're Orthodox. We don't have any rituals happening in an ancient temple. But we definitely still have some injustice and some oppression and some pride and some showmanship. Let me just give you a paraphrase. I like to call this the Hannah version. generally starts with what had happened was. (laughs) Except that that doesn't grammatically fit with this. So let me give you a short version of this passage that just maybe might apply to the church in America. What makes you think I want your endless worship services? I am sick of your smoke machines and your LED screens and your rehearsed emotionalism. I get no pleasure from your sermons that make people feel small and unworthy. Stop sharing your social media rants about what's wrong with the world and focus on yourself. You say you're just speaking the truth, but I can't stand the damage you are doing to people created in my image. I want nothing to do with your religious nonsense. how many evangelical churches, especially the Pentecostal and the Bapticostal and the straight up Baptist, <laughs> have like prayed and beat down the doors of heaven looking for a revival that never comes. And if it does come, turns out it was, it's little more than emotionalism at the end. Everyone had a great experience. How many times have we heard the decree for America to come back to God as if America was ever interested in God in the first place? History, spoiler alert, most of the Founding Fathers were deists. How many times have preachers on the TV and the radio and modern ones like podcasts and YouTube hold you, like begs you for donations so they can do the Lord's work and then you get some kind of like prayer cloth or trinket or like something in the mail to like, you know, thank you for supporting. But, but it doesn't go to the Lord's work, it just goes to like ridiculously expensive living. How much has modern religion focused on beating down and shaming people who are sinning instead of serving and accepting with an open heart? How often do the politically religious act desperate to protect themselves instead of willingly giving up privilege so that the more vulnerable people in our communities can be protected. Now, this is the part where we get to clap and stomp and say amen, and we get to wish judgment on all those people (laughs) who participate in this terrible system. We just like to feed our little pet porcupines but the irony is we are part of the problem. Whatever may be wrong, we are at least a little bit complicit. Either we have been or we still are. There is no them. There is no those people. There is only us. Some of the them that we call us have been, to use a church word, saved by the grace of God (laughs) and moved out of that harmful system into a new system of inclusion and kindness and belonging and acceptance and hope, right? And some of the us that we call them are still trapped. Usually because of fear or shame or trauma. But what should God do? Should God give up on those people? Should God have given up on us when we were stuck in the same system? Should God be involved with humans at all? Because if God is involved with any humans, then God has to be involved with violent and unjust humans and the children of violent and unjust humans because there's no one else. That's not an excuse. That's just reality. We cannot remove ourselves from the equation and stand above everyone else with our lofty judgments while at the same time ignoring what we've done. Because, like, we're trying. Like, I think, I mean, if we're not trying, we might as well close this church (laughs) down. We're trying a different church. We're trying really hard, right? We're trying to... Make a safe space for all people to explore faith and all people should be welcomed and included and celebrated just as they are and where people are more valuable than beliefs. And guess what? We're still going to get it wrong sometimes. (laughs) We are still going to hurt people even if we don't mean it. We're still going to have to repair and forgive and do all of the messy work that comes with being human and with trying to figure out how to be a people of faith in this crazy world we live in. There is no other raw material for God to work with but us. And if God wants a nonviolent and kind humanity in the future, then God has to enter into this relationship with unkind humanity and teach us a new way. Jesus came with a new command, or I should say a command that sounded new. (laughs) Um, It was not new at all. Jesus, I'm sure you all have heard this, Love one another, right? Has anyone not heard that command? Let's expand that just a little bit. (laughs) Jesus told us to love one another, especially our enemies, and I'm going to add even our Christian ones. Jesus told us to forgive without inflicting revenge, no matter how much harm has been done. Jesus told us to give freely, And not take or hold tightly to what we have, no matter how much has been taken from us. Guess what? That message has always been God's message, and it's in Isaiah chapter (laughs) 1-2. Jesus was not being like, hey, I got a new thing for you to do. He was like, hey, this is the same. Have you all been paying attention? Clearly not. I had to come tell you in person. (laughs) God says simply to all of these people that God just got done calling out, learn to Do better. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Help orphans and widows. Fight for the rights of the people who are marginalized. And the people listening in Isaiah's time had a choice. The band can come back. (laughs) I think they're back there. They could choose comfort and privilege and easy answers and everything that felt safe to them. Or they could choose to follow the way of God. So we too have a choice. Will our readings of scripture betray the way of Jesus in our day, in our time? Or will they set a course forward towards what God dreams for us? This is not a choice we make in our minds. It's a choice we make in our everyday lives. A million times over and over and over and over in every new situation and every situation we've encountered a hundred times before, we have a choice. Will we do good? Will we seek justice? Will we stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves? Will we forgive? Will we be gentle and kind in the face of anger and hate? Will we quit ranting on social media and instead show up in real life to help people who need it? Will we turn the other cheek to people who have already hit us with the Bible? Will we stop feeding the porcupines? Will we choose to do the hard work of healing so that our hearts can actually be free from resentment? The word Isaiah, the name Isaiah means Yahweh has saved. And I think for us, what we should reflect on is that we should never forget, though we call out injustice in all its forms, that it is only by the endless, welcoming presence of God that we have experienced healing in our own lives. And we must never think that we are exempt from doing the work in our own hearts to become a safe space for all people.